Welcome to the Farmers Weekly Podcast, this episode recorded on Friday the 8th of October 2021. From the Farmers Weekly News Desk, I'm Johan Tasker. And I'm Hugh Broom. In this week's episode, will DEFRA's flagship environmental land management scheme be good for farmers and the environment? Two experts give their views. I think there's a real political risk that the environmental land management scheme basically looks more and more like basic payments, becomes less and less ambitious in terms of public goods it's trying to create. How you can eat better balanced why meat is an important part of your diet. Aim is to give consumers continued confidence to eat and enjoy meat and dairy as part of a healthy, sustainable diet. On the markets, breeding sheep sales and can beef prices get any higher. And we celebrate our Farm Champion of the Year at the Farmers Weekly Awards in London. I've never even been nominated for a BAFTA in 30 years of being on television and now I've won this and I don't want a BAFTA anymore. I've achieved everything. The Farmers Weekly Podcast. But first... In that Mar interview, it really did appear like the Prime Minister had not been briefed, that he really did not, well, I'm, I'm hoping that that is the case, that he really did not have a grasp on this now with days, literally days to go. That's NFU President Manette Batters appearing at an NFU fringe meeting at the Conservative Party conference in Manchester earlier this week. The Prime Minister came under criticism, having appeared in an Andrew Marr interview last Sunday, where he appeared to brush off the issue of up to 150,000 pigs having to be culled on farm and effectively binned, telling Mr Marr that he thought pigs would die anyway, so it didn't matter whether they went into the food chain or not. Not surprisingly, it's outraged many people across the industry. Farmers Weekly's Philip Case attended the Fringe meeting in Manchester on Monday night. Philip joins me now. Phil, it would seem that the normally cordial relationship between the NFU president and the DEFRA secretary had somewhat changed. Sitting on the uh, the front row as I was, uh, the, you could sense the tension between uh, DEFRA secretary George Eustace and NFU president Minette Batters. Uh, I think it would be fair to say there was a certain uh, foider in, in the air between them. Um, Miss, uh, Mrs. Batters was at pains to, to point out that she did normally see eye to eye uh, with Mr. Eustace on a, a number of areas or on most areas, uh, but certainly in terms of the pig crisis uh, on farms, uh, this is definitely not the case. Earlier this week, during the Conservative conference on the media, there were Home Office ministers saying there was an immigration process in place and that skilled butchers could come in, Phil, but clearly this isn't happening as we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now. The minister was uh, was pointing out that they had made an exception for, uh, for, for turkey processors and he said that 5,500 EU workers would normally come over in the busy period before Christmas because there is a 50% uplift in sales of turkeys during this time. So it appeared as though he was making an exception for uh, for, for turkey processors but and, and also for HGV uh, workers as well. But when it comes to pigs and processing of pork, um, there were no allowances made, unfortunately. But seemingly the government wants uh, the farmers to just somehow solve this themselves. I, I really don't feel that they have a, an understanding or a, a true understanding of the crisis which is unfolding on farms. The government says that it is opening uh, the opportunities for, for butchers to come over from the EU, but there is, of course, a, a threshold uh, where, whereby the, uh, they will not be given uh, temporary visas if they don't speak a certain level of English. 
Of course, many would question why they would have to speak English in the first place when effectively they are processing meat. Earlier on the Monday at the Tory party conference in Manchester, pig farmers had staged a demonstration. One of those who was marching was Yorkshire feed merchant Paul Topless. Our pig farmer customers are really struggling at the moment. They're really caught, I think, in a, in a terrible trap uh, with their increased feed costs. We're having to supply lots of extra food. That extra food is going in at increased raw material prices. The timing is awful. Currently, there are 15,000 vacancies in the meat processing industry. The British Meat Processors Association's Nick Allen told me they've come to a dead end when it comes to trying to get government to see sense. We thought and were assured by government that they would take note of the Migratory Advisory Committee's recommendations. We put a lot of effort into demonstrating uh, to the Migratory Advisory Committee that we had a case for butchers and we wouldn't be able to source them from uh, from at home here. They agreed with that. That was actually supported by DEFRA. But then in October uh, 2020, we were told that the Home Office didn't accept those findings and basically uh, nothing was going to change. So I suppose the only progress we've made was actually getting the Migrator Advisory Committee to look at it in depth and uh, and, and, and agree with us. But uh, after that, really, we've made sort of no progress whatsoever. The Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Select Committee Chairman MP Neil Parrish told me that this problem needs to be sorted and government needs to understand what is at stake. We have a real problem. We need to sort it. I've written to the Prime Minister, Home Secretary and everybody because it's no good having a sort of particularly blunt political message. This is a real problem, a real industry, farmers suffering, industry suffering. And in the end, we will import more meat um, and we will export our high welfare standards if we're not producing that pork. So we need to get this sorted. That's EFRA Chair MP Neil Parrish. Hugh, we first mentioned this situation a few weeks ago. It's like everybody's worst nightmares now become true. Yeah, it's just escalating. And what's so frustrating for everyone involved, as you heard there in all the audio, is it's just not budging. You know, the government is not budging on these abattoir workers. They're saying, you know, as I referred to when I was talking to Phil in the in the piece, you know, Home Office Minister on on the television on news night, I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday night, saying that oh yeah, there's this scheme you can come in, but the, the the threshold for coming in on that scheme it just doesn't suit. It's not fit for purpose for those people that need to come in and do the job. You know, you've got vacancies, fifteen thousand vacancies, people for working on butchery lines, fifteen pounds an hour. You know, it's more than a, a ward sister gets paid in in the NHS. So you can't you can hardly say it's low wage economy stuff. And it's desperate. And now we're killing pigs on farms. Perfectly fit pigs. First time we've culled pigs ever, I think, or culled any animal ever uh, because of no disease. I mean, it's absolutely shocking. And the government's in utter denial. It's interesting. Phil picked up the sort of vibe between the NFU and the minister on Monday night at the Manchester conference. Manette, Batters was on Question Time uh, last night, Thursday night, did a fantastic job. Um, she'd obviously, I don't know whether she'd pick that up. I, I, she she made great pains to say that George Eustace was listening, the DEFRA guys were listening. The real problem here is the Home Office. The Home Office is just not listening. And number 10 doesn't appear to be listening either, as obviously the, the Prime Minister's um, hopeless way that he handled it last Sunday in the Marr interview shows. I mean, it, uh, and that Marr interview, I mean, he did uh, he again repeated those comments later on in an interview with the times i mean do you think that he actually understands the situation or 
or do you think he's just he, he he doesn't understand it or does he understand it and is just not taking it seriously enough i think there are times i sense from the prime minister and the way that number 10 works there are times when the prime minister is briefed on lines and he just sticks to them verbatim and uh, it's not beyond the wit of man you know he's an intelligent guy you would think he would understand the difference between growing something just to effectively waste it to shoot it and bin it and growing something for a purpose that ends up on a shelf and someone consumes it and i just think he's either been badly briefed or he just doesn't think it's a problem and i think the other thing it's it's back to this backdrop context of this you know aim for this high wage economy uh for for not having immigration as we said last week you know with furlough changing there are plenty of people uh, potentially out there looking for jobs. There doesn't seem to be a mass of unemployment at the moment. That could change. People are morphing into other roles. But the reality is these vacancies have been in the meat industry for, for months, for years. You know, I go back to what we've been saying, like a broken record for, for months. You know, the, the industry has been telling the government about these problems since Brexit happened, and nothing has been done. Now, whether the Prime Minister's utopian Brexit dream of everyone changing from being cabin crew to being an HGV driver, which is absolutely fine. But the reality is, you know, there's probably not that many people that are going to change from being cabin crew to being a butcher on a on a, on, a, on a pack line, you know? Um, and you've got to morph this. And whether that happens and we end up with British people doing these jobs eventually at 15, great. But in the meantime, something needs to give. And if the Home Office does not wake up and sort these visas out and let these workers in, this problem, if you think it's bad with pigs now, just stand by because it'll get a whole lot worse with other supply chain issues. It is creaking at the seams and something needs to be done now. Are you ready for a change? At Massey Ferguson, we have a full range of combine harvesters from 226 to 647 horsepower five and six straw walkers to our game-changing MF Ideal Twin Rotor Combine. Customers have reported how impressed they are with our quiet, comfortable cabs, which offer stress-free days in the field, whilst others have said that the PowerFlow header exceeds expectations in all crops. Clean sample, fuel efficiency and high output are just some of the many benefits being enjoyed by Massey Ferguson customers across the UK and Ireland. With full dealer support, packages including 0% finance, plus our harvest promise, will be with you every step of your harvest. Speak to your local Massey Ferguson dealer today or visit masseyferguson.co.uk and make that change. The Farmers Weekly Podcast. Now, can we expect a better deal for farmers and the environment under the government's new agricultural policy? Well, two experts have voiced their doubts. The forthcoming Environmental Land Management Scheme, or ELMS, will reward farmers for improving things like soil health, landscape features and water quality. It's seen as a key way for farmers in England to recoup at least some of the money that they'll lose as annual basic payments are phased out over the next seven years. But Professor Dieter Helm says ELMS is in danger of falling short. Now, ELMS is pregnant with the possibility of being an incredibly forward-thinking policy framework. It's also perfectly possible to be subverted into a modern version of the CAP. What a waste that would be. 
What a terrible waste of the opportunity in front of us. But I think as 50-50, that's what's going to happen. And there is a thing about revolutions. I recall reading a history of the French Revolution. So they all started off with the idea, we don't like kings. We're going to chop their heads off. And they did. And 15 years later, they ended up with the next Louis on the throne. Revolutions go through their initial bouts, and then all the lobbyists and interests claw back the position. And the situation ex post is not the same as the position ex ante, but it can often end up remarkably similar. That's Professor Dieter Helm delivering the Worshipful Company of Farmers annual lecture. A similar point was made this week by Henry Dimbleby, who led the recent independent review of England's food system from farm to fork. This is what he said. I think there's a real political risk that the environmental land management scheme basically becomes, because it's difficult to create change, create, becomes the common agricultural policy, becomes, looks more and more like basic payments, becomes less and less ambitious in terms of the public that it's trying to create because it's politically hard to do it. And I think the more people who are saying, we want our money used to restore nature, to sequester carbon, um, to build our cu- culture and our landscapes. I think that is a very important battle to fight. That's Henry Dimbleby, who was speaking at a harvest lunch hosted by the British Guild of Agricultural Journalists. DEFRA is currently testing or piloting the first tier of the ELM scheme, known as the Sustainable Farming Incentive, or SFI. It says the pilot is a learning process and nothing yet is cast in stone. DEFRA officials say that they're genuinely committed to finding out what works best for the environment and how best to reward farmers before the SFI is launched in full next year. Watch this space. So, Johan, this probably isn't that surprising, but it's going to be a long, slow process just by the very nature because it's such a complicated thing to do, isn't it? It is a complicated thing to do, and we know that we've been calling for more detail for months and months, if not years, Hugh, and that detail is is not really forthcoming, certainly not in the depths that uh, farmers need to be able to make decisions to plan their businesses. I think it's interesting that uh, Dieter Helm, who has been a government advisor in the past, and Henry Dimbleby, who uh, chaired the review or led the review of the government's, uh, uh, sorry, of England's um, food system, uh, this idea of coming up with a food strategy for England, they're both saying very, very similar things, that that the new ELM scheme, which is uh, going to be introduced in full if the timetable is stuck to in 2024, with the first uh, bit of it coming online next year, they're both saying that this is it's, it's almost as if it's being watered down, that it's not actually going to deliver the ambitious uh, uh, changes in environmental uh, support that uh, were, were origin- originally um, billed when it was, uh, when it was first uh, suggested. I think that one of the problems, certainly with some of the SFI stuff that's come out so far, um, the sort of pilot rates and proposals for, you know, bit soil health, it's not very imaginative. And I think the, the real thing is when you look at it, trying to slot it into a business, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make business sense to do it. You know, unless you're prepared just to take the payment and grow nothing and spend no money on growing anything, it's, it's, it's really not setting the world on fire. And, yeah, I think people – at the moment, I think a lot of people would look at it and go, do you know what? I'll just pass it on by. I'll just do my own thing or, or I'll just pack up and not bother at all. 
I think the other thing is that Elms is seen as a, as a key way that farmers are going to recoup at least some of the money that they're losing through the uh, basic payment scheme, which is being phased out. And because of all the crisis hitting the industry and various uh, agricultural sectors, we heard this week the NFU is asking for that uh, that, for that phase out to be delayed uh, for a couple of years so that farmers can adjust. Now, what Henry Dimbleby was uh, was saying was that the danger is is that if we delay that, he feels that uh, the Treasury could claw back that money and that money will be lost forever from agriculture. What he thinks a better policy would be is to push ahead with Elms, actually deliver something uh, for the environment and show that farmers can achieve it and and deliver value for money. So there are two opposing views there. We've got a sort of government, a former government advisor or somebody who's very, you know, very plugged into government. Uh, Henry Dimbleby is a, a lead DEFRA, a lead non-executive uh, director at DEFRA. Yeah, he believes we should push ahead with this, whereas the NFU is saying, whoa, you know, we just need to sort of ease back on this uh, phase out of uh, direct payments because the industry has got enough to deal with and enough on its plate at, right at the moment without thinking about anything else. Oh, look, there's uh, undeniably with, you know, input inflation, inflation on everything, margins being utterly pummeled despite output values not looking too bad. I think Henry Dimbleby is absolutely right. I mean, spending review is just about to come up in the next, the autumn spending review will be coming up in the next two or three weeks. Um, any excuse for the Treasury to cut, it will cut the budget, particularly if it says, look, hang on, here we are 18 months down the line and you're still drip feeding what is effectively CAP style dole money out to farms, albeit it's really essential. I think he's right. The Treasury would turn around and say, well, what is the point of that? And I think we just need to be a lot bolder in terms of where the money is spent, the CapEx opportunities to really inject some capital into these businesses. You know, If these farm businesses are going to cope in the coming decades with, with climate change in terms of managing their carbon, their emissions profile, they need serious, and we've said this before, serious capital investment to be able to be match fit for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. If we're going to increase our self-sufficiency from, say, 60 to 80%, and again, make the country match fit so we're not reliant on externals for energy and food or as reliant as we are now. You know, it needs serious capex and effectively a sort of hybrid dull version of HLS crossed with countryside stewardship with a bit of BPS on the top for a cherry isn't going to make it happen. So it needs to be radical and it needs to move forward quickly because you're, he's absolutely right. The momentum will be lost and then we'll just be stuck in some underfunded downward spiral of nothing when no one delivers anything uh, it's it's yeah the, the, the nettle has got to be grasped and grasped quickly and more importantly so people actually know what they're doing and can plan going forward with their businesses because still it is a huge struggle if you're trying to plan a business at the moment it's just like yeah looking into a murky water trough of nothingness yeah, and hopefully we will find out sooner rather than later because we've got this SFI pilot going on at the moment and that's uh, be being undertaken by a select group of farmers who put themselves forward. Uh, and that SFI, the Sustainable Farming Incentive, which is going to be the baseline sort of tier of the ELM scheme, that is meant to be fully opening for applications next year. So again, we do need that, uh, we do need that detail. DEFRA for its part though, it says it is working on this. It is taking it seriously. The pilot is is properly testing and trialing stuff and it is determined to to get this right so let's hope that uh, the government delivers 
the Farmer's Weekly Podcast. This is, of course, the Farmer's Weekly Podcast. A very warm welcome, as ever, wherever you happen to be listening to us from this, the week that is, of course, Farmer's Weekly Awards Week, and we'll be finding more about the awards and what went on at the awards uh, later on in this show towards the end. Johan was there, not getting at all drunk or getting the last train home from Liverpool Street. Where are you, Johan? Uh, anything else been going on, Johan? How is the email front looking this week? Well, you know, it's a few, after the paucity uh, of, of an empty uh, mailbox or an empty inbox last week um, people have really come good you know so uh, look let's say hello to some of them uh robert richardson uh, listening to us on the tube at victoria uh, <laughs> richard rowlands who says thanks for the podcast abby willis who says uh, morning love listening to your podcast i tend to listen to it whilst walking sarah morris uh, sarah a regular contributor or a re- regular emailer she says uh, hello johan and hugh uh, listening on the road again from montgomery to oswald history uh callum mccutcheon hi guys love the podcast listen from my phone while playing farming simulator and <laughs> owen Thurg- uh, owen thurgate who says uh, dear hugh and johan many thanks for providing the weekly podcast podcast always informative and interesting uh so look look thanks guys i mean that is uh, that's, that's a fantastic response do uh, keep sending your emails in podcast at fwi.co.uk and uh, we'll give you a shout out uh, uh, when you email us Indeed, thank you so much for this. Lovely to hear from you. And I'm glad we can bring a little bit of uh, rural Britain and what goes on in it to people that are stood on Victoria Station. That is just a fantastic thought. And uh, uh, for those of you that do listen in a non-farmed-up environment, uh, even more of a warm welcome this week. Uh, But as as Johan said, uh, the email address is podcast at fwi.co.uk. That is podcast at fwi.co.uk. We would love to hear from you. Hugh, the markets, what's happening? Happening. Thank you, Johan. The finished steer deadweight average this week, slightly back from last week by a penny, back to 410.8, back from 411.7 last week. Although the R4L bid uh, still quite strong at 419. We'll talk more about beef prices, and actually, in some cases, they've been going way above that to try and get leverages full this week. Uh, if we're looking at the sheep market, uh, the SQQ deadweight this week for the UK is 502.3, so that's strengthening up from 494 last week. The live weight SQQ is 234.8. That is up as well from 223 last week. On to the arable markets. And again, it's a a picture of a strengthening market. Uh, 192 is a tonne of feed wheat this week, up from 188 last week. Milling wheat, 225. uh, That's up from 218. Feed barley also strengthens about three and a half quid to 179 a tonne, up from 175.50 last week. And as ever, oilseed rape continues its heavenly descent uh, uh, ascent rather 546.60 is this week's average spot oil seed rate price per ton if you can find a ton that is up from 526 that's up over 20 pounds in the week 526.20 last week this week 546.60 now back to those stock prices cattle and sheep there's some sheep breeding sales obviously on at the moment we'll talk to ted at skipton mart in a minute first let's go to michael Priestley. Uh, michael this average price uh, across all dead weight 410.80 this week r4l bid slightly back at 419.50 but you've heard some prices stronger than that where people are trying to fill their edges and r4l it's about 418, 419, 420, something like that. I'm sure bigger finishes get 425. 
I even heard four three five from one processor. So that's that'd be a ten pence a good ten pence jump really. And the ten pence per kilo jump would have been un, pretty much unheard of a few years ago. But aggressive aggressive pricing's become the uh, norm now. Uh, and four three five was available for big finishes, but it doesn't seem like many people have uh, have actually t- taken that. But generally, very very strong still. Cattle are in short supply. About a year ago, as they said, all the all the fresh beef is going to be British, and that's kind of uh, coming to fruition now. It seems so. Some real strength still in the beef market. There, plenty of demand, and and quite frankly, not enough cattle on the ground at the moment. Michael Priestley, thank you very much. Now, sheep sales. Um, Ted Ogden, you've been selling breeding stock at Skipton for the last month or two now. Um, how are those going, and what are those sales shaping up like? Yeah, we got through to our late season. Now we're still selling uh, milk gimmer lambs on Tuesday. Hey, you're still seeing a market average for third sale lambs, hundred and six, hundred and seven pounds. So that's equating to. 120 or 30 pounds for a lamb that might still take the top this time down to 85 to 100 pounds for lambs to run on through the winter and what's the store trade like with you for lambs store traders taking a bounce this week we've got uh show you talk we've got a prime sheep trade that's moved up 20 pence live weight this last 10 to 14 days so that's put a nice bit of confidence in for the stronger lambs but as soon as the rains come and I think the dairy cows go inside. You start to get men who are looking for sheep for longer keep during the winter months and through into the spring of next year. So you've got strong continental lambs in the 90s to 105 or 10 pounds for short keep. But it's them medium sorts of lambs at 85, 90 pounds for, for Christmas trade and 75, 80 pounds for, for over New Year. They're the ones that have gone up sort of five or eight pound a piece over the course of the last week. That's Ted Ogden from CCM Auctions at Skipton. The Farmer's Weekly Podcast. Now, HDB has recently launched the latest We Eat Balanced campaign. Last year's campaign reached two-thirds of UK households, telling consumers how meat and dairy were essential parts of a balanced diet. Earlier, I spoke to Susie Stannard, who's a Consumer Insight Manager at HDB, and Liam Byrne, who's the Head of Marketing at the organisation. Aim is to give consumers continued confidence to eat and enjoy meat and dairy as part of a healthy, sustainable diet. Uh, two bursts of activity kicking off in uh, this autumn burst with a higher focus on sustainability in the run up to COP26 um, and uh, looking to draw on farmer stories that underpin yeah, the fact that our meat and dairy is one of the most sustainable in the world um, and will be focused across social media, uh, print and digital. And then in January, um, a renewed focus back into health. Uh, under, underpinned by uh, sustainability and we'll be back on TV and we'll be on TV for five weeks underpinned with you know, social, digital, print and activity across the big retailers. So in terms of last year's campaign, that was the first time round for this sort of concept and, and particularly, I suppose, where you were trying to put the meat and the dairy and put everything together. What sort of impact did it have and how many consumers did you reach, do you think? We reached about two-thirds of UK households in terms of measures, we were looking to uh, shift the dial in terms of consumer attitudes to uh, meat and dairy and health and naturalness and sustainability. And we saw some significant uh, shifts in those spaces, anywhere between four and 10 percentage points. Most importantly, the kind of the proof point is around purchase intent. And we went out at a time when there was a significant amount of negative noise about reducing 
your meat and dairy consumption. We were we are, we, we launched in January, but we were able to protect and grow purchase intent both for meat and for dairy products. Susie, um, you look at these numbers and you see what's actually moving off the shelves. What do the numbers look like? And, and uh, did we did we see the impact of last year's campaign in, in what sort of came through from the actual purchase numbers from the retailers? Well, we're in a bit of a unique situation at the moment. And the numbers, as you know, over the past couple of years have been in absolute turmoil due to the impact on COVID. So, as you know, as food service closed, retail kind of boosted massively across across all categories. So last year we did see a big uplift in meat sales generally, dairy sales generally, not necessarily a result of the campaign, but just to do with how how the kind of market was was sitting. But what it did show us, particularly when we look at people's attitudes, is people have gone from feeling that, oh, I should, you know, perhaps I should be limiting the amount of meat dairy that I'm eating, actually, um, there was a big opportunity in that there was a softening in how people felt and, and people started eating, reintroducing um, meat and dairy perhaps back into their diets or bought a little bit more. So some quite good news there. It's kind of difficult to untangle what happened as a result of the campaign and what happened as a result of the pandemic, but a kind of positive platform to grow for for, for this year going forwards. People should start to see this campaign appearing on screens, phone screens, to, um, and other, and other media in the in the coming days, should they? People will. Uh, it's probably worth mentioning there's a, there's a degree of sophistication between how we advertise. We've done a lot of work in the run-up to this around um, identifying who our target um, groups are, who are the people we need to speak to. And as uh, you know, Susie's, Susie's alluded to, uh, we all have you know, different attitudes to, to what we buy and that can come down to our life stage or how much uh, uh, how affluent we are or how much time we have to cook or not to cook. But it can also come down to our interest in things like issues of the environment and issues of health. And they are those kind of the, the waiver groups and that are on the fence that are receiving information often of a negative nature, maybe through their phones or through the newspapers. And they're really the people we need to get to to give them a more balanced view on meat and dairy consumption and ultimately give them the confidence to continue enjoying it. So we profile audiences and we will be serving more content up to those people that are more likely to be reducing their meat and dairy consumption. And so not everybody that's listening to this podcast. Yeah, if you're an active levy paying farmer producing red meat, you're not likely to get a message in your Facebook feed is what you're saying. You're not, you're not. But the important thing is if, you know, to take from this is, you know, I, if I was a farmer and I was continually being served up the information, then I'd be saying, well, you're doing something wrong because I'm already an advocate for these products. I have some faith that we take time and we put the due diligence in place to ensure the money spent in the right spaces. And that comes down even to the, the newspapers. Once we understand the profile of the people we need to be talking to, we then can then take a step back and we can understand what supermarkets they shop in, what newspapers they read. And I'll give you an example. You know, we are we've got a whole page advert in the Guardian newspaper every week, uh, running all the way through to November in the run up to COP. And we know that Guardian newspaper readers are three times more likely to be reducing their meat consumption for reasons of ethical reasons. So it makes absolute sense that we're in that space, putting our alternative evidence across. That's Liam Byrne and Susie Stannard from HDB. Hugh, meat and dairy, all part of a balanced diet. Uh, That's exactly what this campaign is trying to tell. It is... 
I suppose it comes off the back of 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 a lot of negative press around meat and dairy. Uh, if you go back five or six years ago, if you think about you know the Veganuary event, uh, real pummeling the industry got uh, in terms of of I just you know just people talking about whether it's around the ethics or indeed about the environmental impact. This campaign was born last year, I suppose, off the back of the of, of the pandemic. During the pandemic, you know, we saw meat and dairy consumption go up. Um, and this campaign was sort of born off the back of that. I suppose there was a, a thought within HDB at the time, at the height of the pandemic, that, you know, we could have some real problems here if people, you know, move away from meat and dairy. Uh, what do we do to really keep that going? Um, and it also it was also on the back of Brexit, of course, and there was a worry that we wouldn't be able to export lamb because there wouldn't be a deal done. Well, of course, a deal was done and that lamb exports carried on. Um, so in some ways as well, the pandemic allowed for the guys and girls at HDB to actually be a bit more free thinking in terms of how they came together and how they delivered this. And because of the urgency, they managed to sort of bypass, if you will, uh, the normal sort of, you know, 15 year wait of having things signed off by ministers because AHDB is this pseudo government department um, that has to tick all the boxes before it can actually advertise anything, by which time whatever it is they're trying to advertise has passed. But in this case, they were able to get on with it because of the pandemic. It's worked really well. And here we are again with campaign number two. Um, the last campaign got into two thirds of consumer households, which is pretty impressive based on what is actually, if you look at it overall, it's a national campaign. Uh, you know, it's a limited, limited budget. I mean, you say a limited budget and you talk about the number of uh, households that the campaign's getting into. I mean, just to confirm this, that they are measuring the success of this. This campaign is making a difference. It is reaching consumers. It's not just about making farmers and, and levy payers uh, feel warm in, uh, and fluffy inside <laughs> at a time when the AHDB is sort of undergoing, a, a, you know, a lot of challenges, um, not least uh, the need to deliver value for money to its farmers and levy payers. Absolutely. Look, there's no denying that we know there's the these further ballots coming up around levy boards, red meat, cereals, dairy, etc. Further ballots and questions to levy payers will be coming up. We'll be covering that. That will be in the early part of next year. In some ways, that I think that's helped galvanise. I know there's a lot of churn. There's a lot of change going on at HDB in terms of you know people being moved around or moved out, um, costs being cut. We've seen what's happened with the horticultural board and the potato board. But I think also it's galvanised and focused. You know what can HDB do really well? And I think HDB have always done this really well. Is spending targeted spending on promotion and possibly where it went wrong before is the leadership within the boards and the, the chairs and sector boards etc were obsessed with this idea that you know you can't possibly advertise beef or lamb because it's a commodity it's like wheat you can't advertise wheat it's a commodity but actually you can and these guys have proven that if you push things like beef and lamb and dairy on a pedestal and promote them then people do respond the data they get back is very accurate it's very targeted this and as you heard in the audio you know if you, as a farmer producer of dairy or red meat, you're getting targeted by this campaign, then something is seriously wrong because you are not on the target. You are not on the hit list. Um, so hopefully you won't be hearing about it, but it will be working very hard on your behalf elsewhere in the uh, in, in the sort of consumer sphere, as it were. The other thing I think 
always needs to be taken into account. And I always stick, I know probably more about beef because that's what I grow and I've always been involved with and lamb to a certain degree. You know, if you think about prime beef, prime beef leaving UK farms, oh, well, now with the prices up, it's probably closer to 2.5 billion, the value. Um, it's about 2 million, just over 2 million cattle a year. You know, if you just put a thousand quid on it, it's 2 billion. Well, we know it's more than that is the, is, is the prime value now. And yet, in historically, we haven't even spent a million or half a million quid promoting it. It's utterly absurd. And we wonder in the past why we've had lumpy markets, why we've had lumpy consumer uptake. Every other market, whether it's phones, computers, peaches or whatever, somewhere down the line, they are promoting it. And every other successful market, there is some promotional money. Um, and it's absolutely ludicrous that we expect this product just to work and perform on the market. And we invest absolutely nothing in terms of promoting it so this sort of promotion work is really vital going forward and you say that Hugh is this an ongoing campaign then or has it got a sort of a finite lifespan so the, the the campaign we're in now is about two or three weeks into the first phase of this campaign, which takes us towards Christmas. And then with all the New Year uh, stuff that goes on with various campaigns, there the campaign will kick on again in the New Year, uh, trying to focus and target consumers there while they're being bombarded with lots of other messages as well. Um, so certainly this campaign's locked and loaded for the next, you know, the rest of this year and into the early part of next year. And then I suppose they'll review it and then decide where they go next. You know, you never know. You know, you might get to a situation where farmers want to put more money in to promote more, to get more bang for their buck out the other end. Who knows? Wackier things have happened in other countries. Uh, but for now, they're doing a good job. It seems to be working really well, and it seems to be delivering some good value for money. The Farmers Weekly Podcast. And finally, the annual Farmers Weekly Awards took place this week, the biggest night in the farming calendar to celebrate all that's best about British agriculture. It's when the countryside comes to town with almost 1,000 guests partying until the early hours at the Grosvenor House Hotel on London's Park Lane. Farmer of the Year was Edward Vipond, manager of Troston Farms in Suffolk. He can't believe it, ladies and gentlemen. He cannot believe it. Taking the 2021 Farmer of the Year trophy, it's Edward Vipond, ladies and gentlemen. There's, um, there's no auto cue for me, actually, which is slightly concerning. But um, just a few words, uh, if I may. Firstly, thank you to the boss, Katrina, who believed in me when she took me on. Uh, and... Um, Believed in the vision, believed in and trusted me, uh, and we've come a long way. We've got a long way to go, uh, and um, thank you to the team. The team are everything to me, and they mean, you know, they, you know if, if there wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. I'm grumpy on wet mornings, yeah, okay, this time of year, I need a dry October, and I'm happy. I just can't believe it. I can't believe I've, you know, not just farm manager, but farmer of the year, me? Never. Thank you so much. That's Farmer of the Year, Edward Vipond. Other winners included Britain's most famous farmer, Jeremy Clarkson, who was named Farming Champion of the Year for his hit TV show, Clarkson's Farm. Jeremy sent guests a special message. It feels really weird, really unusual. I've never even been nominated for a BAFTA in 30 years of being on television and now I've won this and I don't want to BAFTA anymore. I've achieved everything. Um, this is great, honestly. I'm so glad so many people enjoyed and watched the show. 
Um, and I really hope you have a great night. You do an amazing job, and I think everybody in the country now knows what an amazing job you do. So have fun, and um, let's make all this work. That's Jeremy Clarkson. We caught up with other winners on the dance floor, including the Evans brothers, who were named Beef Farmers of the Year, and they're from Carmarthenshire. Uh, Iwan Evans, uh, win Beef Farmer of the Year with my brother Alan. And how do you feel about winning? Yeah, amazing actually. We um, set it as a goal six years ago when we first got into farming and uh, yeah, it feels like a huge achievement. So yeah, really happy. And what do you do and uh, where do you farm? So we farm in South West Wales, uh, beef farmers. So we do um, dairy beef, uh, rearing units. So uh, yeah, grass based. So a huge focus on drainage focus, grassland based. So yeah. And you had a good night? Yeah, really good night. Really good. What's yeah. the best thing about it? Just spending time with like-minded people, learning from others and um, just getting out and spending a bit of time with the community really. A good time had by all then at the Farmers Weekly Awards. So Johan, it sounds like it was a good night at the awards. You managed to catch the last train home. I uh, got the last train home out of London, Liverpool Street to Colchester, Hugh. Uh, it was uh, 12.45, 12.46 in the morning. Uh, so I got that quarter to one in the morning. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I was uh, tucked up in bed at uh, at 2.30. So it was, a, it was a big night. It's always a good night. And, you know, Farmer of the Year there, Edward Vipond, uh, manager of Boston Farms. Uh, he was thanking the, the person that he called the boss, that was uh, Katrina. For listeners who don't know, uh, that's Katrina Class, whose uh, father, Helmut Class, uh, we had a tribute to him on the podcast earlier this year, way back in January. Her father uh, died um, in January this year. Piece of really good news. Troston Farms was Helmut Class's farm. Helmut Class being of the Class Machinery Empire. So it was. It was a great evening for for Edward. A great evening for Katrina. It was a great evening for everybody. It was. It was a fun night. It's always a big night. A little. A little secret. I had to buy a dinner jacket. I had to order a dinner jacket uh, to go. I ordered it from Marks and Spencer. It, it arrived on Tuesday night. I got it out. It fitted me perfectly ordered it online guess what the uh, the security tags were still attached to it <laughs> so uh, are you sure you actually ordered it you did actually it did actually I, come in an envelope in the post and just go it, down the old MS and colchester and just walk in and walk out I had to go back to M&S. I had to take it to M&S, walk in. Of course, the alarms went off. Uh, asked them. They, they looked at me. They was like, what are you doing? And I said, Madman. bringing such like shit shoplifting something into the shop and uh, and they, they, I explained to them what had happened. And I think they, it would have been a classy the- look to have gone to the awards with the security tags in though, wouldn't it? It would have been like, you know, some sort of alternative fashion jewellery. Yeah, it, you know, like uh, like uh, people wearing, uh, what was it, Bot- Walsh bottle tops in their shoes. Oh, 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 yeah, what's his name? Exactly. You know, Lewis Hamilton was wearing half-dress, half-trouser the other day. You know, it would be an equally contemporary expression, Johan. Look, absolute congratulations congratulations to everyone that won an award last night uh, really good and um, phenomenal i was delighted to see uh, bill clark the uh, wheat breeder uh, get the lifetime achievement award for effectively a whole life that he has spent breeding wheat varieties phenomenal to see that and of course jeremy clarkson getting his award as well well deserved and some amazing stuff he's done there with the program about the farm and of course looking forward to the second series there as well and of course you didn't have too much of a heavy head this morning johan you, you did you manage to survive okay 
I survived okay, Hugh. I had a couple of drinks, but certainly no no big hangover or anything like that. No, I was I was determined to get home rather than uh, rather than stay in uh, in London. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I wanted to wake up in my own bed. I'm getting old, I think. And there's me thinking he'd be out on it all night, uh, Johan. Uh, it's clearly turning into a bit of a, a bit of a lightweight in the old age there. And uh, coming up next week, Johan. Coming up next week, Hugh, we've got an interview with uh, AHDB Chief Executive Tim Rycroft. He'll be explaining his vision for the levy board and how he's going to give levy payers more say in how their money is spent. But in the meantime, this has been the Farmers Weekly Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Wherever you are, please don't hesitate to leave us a lovely five-star review on the uh, various podcast platforms that you may be listening us to us from. We would really appreciate this. But until next week, I'm Hugh Broom. Goodbye. And I'm Johan Tasker. Goodbye. <laughs>